welcome to episode 21 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. Over the past month or so, we've been travelling virtually across England to explore the country's growing whiskey-making scene, from the Cotswolds to Bimber in London, up to the lakes and across to the spirit of Yorkshire. We're wrapping up our series in a fitting way with a visit to the place where whisky-making really began in England, at least in modern times, on a farm in Norfolk in 2006. St George's Distillery is home to the English Whisky Company and its proud owner, Andrew Nelstrop. I caught up with him to find out how his vision of an English whisky came about in the first place. There's a very long version, a very short version, but my father, certainly wasn't me, my father was... Uh, born into a farming family in Lincolnshire mm-hmm. and sadly for him he was the second son born so he wasn't getting much of that farm so he went off and farmed all over the world uh, from Lincolnshire to Australia to Russia to Norfolk um, bit of a wanderlust really and then the one thing that kept coming up was this desire to have a whiskey distillery and I remember it being discussed you know, on a moderately regular basis growing up. And then when he turned 60, we were sat having a meeting. He brought it up again, and it was one of those sort of, well, why don't you then? Mm-hmm. And um, that was in 2005. And we, at the time, we'd been looking at building some bonded warehouses for wine storage. And so we we went a step further and applied for um, a distillery. But we wanted a small distillery, you know, the father did, as a retirement hobby. It was going to be something that kept him amused and his close friends in whiskey. I think that was the grand plan. Uh And customs and excise um, turned around and went, no, was a minimum, uh, was a rule stating a still size minimum is 1800 litres. Yeah. Which of course there was back then. And in a moment of enthusiasm, he went, fine, we'll build a big distillery. <laughs> and the, the distillery that's built today, he literally drew on an envelope, well, you know, an A4 bit of paper in an hour. Um, and that was it, it was going to be built. And so we set about, the licenses were relatively easy to come by. We already own the land. Um, I, at the time, was running a family building company. So off we went and we set to and built the main distillery. We had asked for sites to build the kit. Um, And while we were up there meeting them one day, we came across Ian Henderson at Edredar. Um, and persuaded him that he ought to have one more distillery in him before full retirement. Yeah. So we got one of Scotland's greats to come down and fire it up for us and get us all trained up. And that was the start of it, really. I mean, it was fulfilling my father's dream to open a whiskey distillery. Yeah. And I, I think I, we are very privileged to have had a founder that set out to make whiskey because he liked whiskey and he just wanted to make 
great single malt. There were no other demands. There were no funding demands. There were no investors. There was no return on capital. Who cares? Once you're entering retirement, those sort of things aren't relevant. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're not going to live long enough to uh, to see your 40, 50-year-olds. So, it, um, as it turned out, he didn't. So, it's... Um, yeah, I think it's the right way to open the distillery, to set out to make top-notch whiskey, not set out to as a marketing exercise or a way of repaying investors. You know, that, yeah. It's not good when you've got something that needs a 50-year lifespan. <laughs> and and, and for, for, I mean, obviously now there's some, what, some like 25 distillers across England. I think there are. I got, I got, uh, yeah, I'm totally lost. I got 23. Yeah. And in practice of that 23, the vast majority are still just gin producers. Uh-huh. Um, they may have some product in cask. Uh, I was chatting to one the other day who I thought was well on his way of selling whiskey, but turns out that, no, they are only just putting their first lot into cask. So I think there's quite a lot that will come on board over the next few years. But it's it's good. I think it's a good thing. I mean, when we were on our own, it was hard work. Uh-huh. You know, when you have only one English whiskey on offer, there is no point every website building a category for English whiskey. You just get lumped in with world whiskey or other whiskey. Right. And the same on a retailer's shelf. You know, you walked into Arthur's Royal Mar whiskeys. You're not getting a dedicated space for English whiskey when there's only one of you. Yeah. You're just in there with others. Whereas all of a sudden now, even those of us that have you know, whiskey ready to go, which is probably five or six of us with mature whiskey, um, and each and if each of us have got, I mean, we've got probably any, any time, nine different offerings on the go, Um and some of my the new newer guys have certainly got two or three on the go at any one time. Suddenly, that's a shelf in a shop, or it's a proper worthwhile page of English whiskies on a website. Yeah. And so that we're, we're beginning to get see the benefit of having a full category, which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in ten years' time, of course, they'll all be. Yeah, got super offerings, and we'll all be competing against each other. Yeah, then we will have to learn the lessons of the Scotch Whiskey Association and actually cooperate with yeah. our branding and export marketing, etc. Are, are, are there movements towards that, Andrew, in terms of organisation? Yeah, yeah, I think there are. That we we're at the very early stages of. That like there was all sorts of meetings planned earlier in the year, and coronavirus got in the way of everything. But I am sure. Well, I know that a few of them managed it. I didn't because I didn't have webcams and things at that time. Um, a few of them have managed to have a meeting, helped by the WSET. Um, right. Is that what it's called? Um, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. They sort of hosted the forum, if you like, to try and get it all together. Um, and I think it will come. It's, there isn't going to be a immediate, let's all hold hands and do things together. 
because what's the point of all having individual distilleries and individual goals? But I think there will be a formation of a sort of like the SWA, something that can talk as one body to yeah. government and 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 if when we leave the EU, we're going to need a set of rules to determine what whiskey is in the UK. Yeah. Because at the moment we rely on EU rules and then the Scotch have their own set that define those further. Right. But the English exactly. don't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, 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 we can do what we like at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. And I think well, yeah, we have to be careful not to have as many rules as the Scotch yeah. uh, whiskey industry because I think they're quite limiting, but at the same time you need to safeguard quality, so... Yeah. these things it'll be a game to play won't it sure what well, how have you seen the challenges of england becoming a whiskey drinking nation i mean it's it's still very much gin isn't it but you know you've been there at the forefront of the whiskey scene so how much of a challenge has that been well it's an interesting one that i mean in in reality i mean the uk must be one of Scotland's biggest market places, and therefore the English part of the UK have always been whiskey drinkers, um, and they've done it rather well. You know, they drink a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not trying to make people change from gin to whiskey, although that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're trying to do is get them to try our brand of whiskey rather than somebody else's, mm-hmm. and that, to a degree, is easier. Um, it's certainly easy to get them to do it once. And the ones of us that will survive are the people that we can get back for a second taste. Yeah. Easy to get everyone to have a go once, but, you know, it's... Um, but uh, it's working. I mean, the UK is still our biggest marketplace. We see a moderately even split across England on sales. Right. And back in the day when Gordon McPhail was our distributor, I think about 8% of our sales happened north of the border. Right. Which is always nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what about internationally then? Yeah, so we export. It's um, the, the the branding, and the origin of the whiskey is no issue once you step outside of our shores. Okay. Um, because yeah, the Swedish whiskey is Japanese whiskey, is Australian whiskey. Therefore, why wouldn't there be English whiskey? The the hard part to exporting. It's like any small company, it's sheer numbers of people on the ground. You know, every export marketplace wants to see you there and wants to, you to do tastings and actually have a presence in the marketplace. Well, yeah. that is just not possible unless you're Diageo. Yeah. You know, you, we don't actually have enough whiskey to sell each year to justify having a person in each of those 20 marketplaces. So it's, um, that's, my, that's the hardest one. I think it will be for all of us. Yeah. You know, if a gin maker goes, oh, look, we're seeing a, a good boom in sales in that country, well, they make, make more gin tomorrow, don't they? Yeah. If we see a boom in a marketplace, we have to wait 10 years yeah. <laughs> before, we, before the increase in production flows through the system. Yeah. So, but, but, but uh, yeah, so I don't think, no, I don't think it's... Um, the problems don't stem from being English whiskey rather than Scotch or Irish. Uh-huh. The problems stem from being a small company, you know, smallish company, and that applies to exporting problems probably regardless whether you make 
whiskey, it's whether you make shoes, widgets, whatever it might be. Yeah. And uh, how's your relationship been then with Scotland and with Scotch whiskey? I mean, obviously, Ian Henderson was there at the beginning to to help you get set up. I mean, I don't. Could you have done this without without Scotland's help? I suppose is the question. Um, the initial work, I think probably yes. Of course you could. Um, you could have found distill. Uh, still distilling equipment makers elsewhere in the world. We, you know, I'm sure we could have sat there and worked out how our, you know, what settings put our stills on over time. But what the Scottish industry did for us on day one was it gave us Forsyth, who I believe are the Rolls Royce equipment maker, mm-hmm. um, for distilling, um, who were incredibly helpful, incredibly knowledgeable, and yeah, was a godsend really for making sure we got the very best whiskey making equipment that we could, money could buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, getting Ian down meant that at the end of week one, he had trialled the stills, knew exactly what he was doing, and off we were running. Whereas I think if it had been us trying to create this, find out what style of whiskey those stills wanted to produce um, we probably would have taken months of trial and error rather than Ian's 50 years of experience telling him exactly what should be done so early days definitely helped we then had Gordon and McPhail as our UK distributor again you know we got a great reach around the UK and did us proud yeah so, so yes, I mean, the Scottish. And yeah, those were the three obvious examples. But I think what goes unseen and unmentioned with the numerous phone calls I made to heads of big Scottish companies or distillers or coopers, in, you know, I never once was turned away or not given an answer or... Let me put you through to Bob in the Cooperage. He might be able to help you. Yeah, everybody's always been helpful, which I suppose we were no, we're no threat. Yeah, our volume of sales will never indent much on the Scottish industry. Uh-huh. But still, everybody I've never come across anybody who was just unhelpful or miserable up north of the border. So I think that's, that's a good advert for the nation of Scotland. Yeah. Right, Hopefully right, we right, all... Right, right, yeah, and, and we've tried to keep that going as new distilleries have opened up both in England and, we, you know, we've had people over from America and all sorts coming to see what we're doing on our scale. Yeah. And yeah. so we have tried, without giving away far too many secrets, um, to keep that help, pass it forward, if you like. Yeah. So it's nice. Great. And uh, just give me an overview, Andrew, of... You, your production process and what what makes your setup different? What what would you say would be your kind of uh, unique selling points in terms of your, uh-huh. your your production? I mean, the obvious unique selling point is that we were the only English whiskey company in these days. We're the oldest, and that's the simple one and the one we use most of the time. Yeah. In reality, every distillery, regardless of where it's located in the UK makes a unique product so but we are 
our setup and our method of working, yeah, we are a very traditional double distillation pot still, just as you'd find in the majority of Scottish distilleries. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a very deliberate decision. You know, if it were if it's worked for all this time north the border, mm-hmm. the fact that Hadrian's Wall between us means it should work just as well down here. And we were acutely aware that in Europe, where they have moved more towards the column still style of distillery for making gin and genevers and that sort of thing, they don't traditionally make great whiskey. Yeah, and my fa- my father only wanted to make great whiskey. wasn't interested in making gin or vodka or anything else, and therefore we have a setup that is very close to our northern cousins in terms of kit and layout and what we do, um, but equally as restrictive. You know, we can't go. Oh, this week let's make some gin or something else. Yeah. So and. We we do have some differences. We aren't owned by you know, shareholders or banks or investors, and therefore we have no time limit. We have longer fermentation times. We can be very choosy because of our moderately small output on cast types and cast quality. Yeah. You know, when you're filling three casts a day, you can afford to go, right, I don't like that one, chuck it away. If you're filling 10,000 a day, if it holds water without leaking, they're going to use it probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there is that, the fact that it's entirely family owned without boring and without any time constraints has is probably the other USP because it allows us to make whiskey slowly and correctly and it means it stays in the shed until it's ready to drink rather yeah. than because somebody needs cash flow next month. Yeah, and that, that's quite important. And there aren't many, um, certainly of startups that can operate like that, and probably of all of us actually. Yeah, so that's no, quite nice. Nice position to be in. Uh, yeah. Any yeah. any any plans you can share with us for, for the future, Andrew? <laughs> well, you've rung today because we have just launched England's first age statement bearing whiskey. So we've launched an 11 year old today. Okay. Um, which is probably the biggest news we're going to have this year. Right. Um, I think it, oh, I've been waiting for it to happen because obviously we've been going, knocking on 15 years, so you know, yeah. desperate for put out that, um, which is quite nice. But no, I mean, it, we had all sorts of plans for the year ahead, but in reality, yeah. following on coronavirus and a complete lack of pubs and clubs and everyone to buy a whiskey, yeah. um, I think we will put our heads down and just quietly get on we will make whiskey we'll put it in the warehouse and uh, keep our heads down and come out and see what happens out the other side many thanks to Andrew for his time and to everyone else from the English whiskey scene who has contributed to our series of whiskey talks over the past couple of months you can find the rest of our chats by searching for whiskey talk podcast online and you can read much more about English whiskey in issue 48 of Unfiltered the members magazine for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.